At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have a fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends, and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter, at thecoachesnet. Once again, that's at thecoachesnet. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest this afternoon is Chris Cushion. Chris, how are you? I'm good, yes. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. I'm really excited for this one, actually. Um, Chris, before we dive straight in, um, maybe a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Okay, thank you. Um, my formal title uh, is Professor Chris Cushion, and I'm Professor of Coaching, Pedagogy, Coaching and Pedagogy at Loughborough University, and I've been there since about 2007. I was up until recently the head of coaching at England Netball, and I did that for a couple of years as well, part-time. And I've been writing about, researching, thinking about coaching for the last 20 years um, or so. My own background is I started coaching a long time ago. So I I say coached. I took my first session in 1989 as a coach. And I've gone through all the process. So my main sport is football. Um, and I've gone through all the coach coach education and development. I've gone through the uh, Centre of Ever Excellence to Academies. I've worked in a whole range of fields, um, football in the community, academies, centres of excellence, university football, non-league football. So I've coached at all of those levels. And I've coached every age group of player from under nines to under 21. So reserve team football and senior football in in non-league. Interestingly, I'm also a qualified cricket coach and I also coach martial arts as well. So a bit bit of a diverse range of coaching experiences. But formally, um, about uh, 22, 23 years in, in higher education, looking at thinking about coaching, writing about it, researching. Amazing, amazing. Obviously, a depth and range of experiences as well. Um, I'm going to take you right back to the start. Really. So, Chris, how did you fall into this space of coaching? And yeah. And what, what kind of kept so, you going? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So I was um, called a failed footballer. So I was struggling to play non-league football back in the late 80s. I had some back injury problems, recurring back injury problems, and was in and out, struggling to get into the team, 
training really hard and then having an injury setback and not really making much headway in a playing sense, but still still enjoying it. Um, and the team I was with at the time uh, had a, had a kind of a, a traditional manager who was a manager and a couple of guys who were coaches. One of them was a player coach. And it just so, so happened, I think it was a Tuesday evening for training, um, coaches couldn't come. And the manager's like, well, I can't do trial. I haven't got a clue, basically. And then I was looking around the dressing room. Does anyone fancy taking training? And everyone's looking at the floor. And I thought, yeah, I'll give it a go. So I actually took training and one received some reasonably positive feedback on it and two quite enjoyed it and started to think, well, actually, this is something I could get into. So I actually started um, helping out with the reserve team at that club and started looking into kind of getting some experience as a coach. So, you know, still in my very early 20s, started to think about coaching um, and and you know, as an as an option, really didn't really understand anything about it. Didn't know they were quali- you know, didn't know anything about it. And as I say, that my sessions at the start were, were training sessions. Really, there was no coaching involved. And like everybody, I was just doing what had been done to me back to people, and it and it seemed to work. So that was kind of where how it started. Um, I, I also got my life all all the way wrong way round. So I actually joined the military from school. Um, didn't do A-levels, didn't do any of that stuff. And when I came out of the service, was was trying to play, this was after I'd been in the military, um, was trying to figure out what job I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, and, and was all, always had a really strong affinity to sport, you know, played and was starting to think about coaching, was interested in strength and conditioning, really interested in everything. And... Um, was doing my A-levels part-time at the local college and thought, you know what, I'm, you know, I was in a, you know, my day job was in a suit. I worked in finance, just didn't enjoy it. You know, so I got, you know, really enjoyed the sporting space and I thought, right, I'm just going to take the plunge. So I went, basically went back to university when I was 27 <laughs> to do, to do sport. So, and that really opened up a lot of, you know, really opened up a lot of opportunities for me in terms of, not only educationally, but also access to other other ways to learn about sport, to learn about coaching. So more more in the university space, it opened up the the US to me. It opened up you know connections to football and the community, connections to clubs. So it, it all really went forward from there. When I when I started at university, I actually thought I was going to be an S and C coach because I was really interested in strength and conditioning and training. But as I progressed. Um, through the course, but also getting more hands-on coaching experience. It's like, yeah, coaching's coaching's what I want to do, basically. And that's how I kind of ended up there. Amazing. So, you know, I want to take you right back to the start that you've said that obviously there's two main reasons. One, the feedback was good, yeah. more positive, and two, um, you really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of similarities in, in, in the entirety of going into it and we've, uh, we've started delivering the things that were delivered to us that's it's quite a common thing with a lot of coaches that come into it. Um, it's not often that I've certainly uh, not met many coaches that haven't played to some capacity. Um, so what was good coaching looking like for you back then then? <laughs> what would you receive a good feedback for? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, this is a long time ago, but, you know, I, I didn't really get form, formally coached until I was... 13 or 14 but again that was all very it wasn't really coaching it was just doing 
it was just it was just being put into practices really I, I don't have a huge recollection of being coached as a player particularly it, you know even as I grew up and, and played at different levels and worked with different coaches it was very much about doing practices I do recall being told what I was doing wrong a lot <laughs> you know so you know whether, whether that was be you know again it's a, it's a slightly different era but you know I used to I played right back or centre back and you know I can remember being told in a game basically that the uh, within the first few minutes that I was basically going to get destroyed by the wide midfielder and it's like yeah you know I'm, I'm a kid mate you know looking back on it now it's like what is this person saying to me you know yeah, yeah. But different times so I, I think it was you know when you actually get some information to make you a better player you know that's good right so that's something here that I can use that's gonna you know there's somebody who appreciates me and there's somebody who recognizes that I might need some help or they recognize there's some potential here and can give me some information or support me in getting better and I would say that in in the early days of my coaching as a player and starting out as a coach I didn't really see that very often if I'm honest so I, th I think you know uh, you know, I, and I'm I'm mega organised as a coach, so I thought I was just mega organised. And I think the fact that the you know those early sessions were really organised, the players there was a level of enjoyment. And I tried to, I guess, try to try to give give the players something that I thought you know as a team this will this will make us better or this will this will make make a difference to what we're doing on a Saturday afternoon. It's, it's quite interesting because obviously you know you talked there about you don't know if you were coached and this is often a conversation I have with a lot of a lot of players and a lot of coaches or just to give you some context I mean I'm also in the coaching space and I work uh, do a lot of work as a coach developer as well um, and these are types of conversations I start having with coaches you know have you actually started coaching I think you you know you subtly refer to it there as formally coached. But actually, there's so many people out there who are calling themselves coaches but don't actually do any coaching, right? Um, and then at the same time, it's oh, the question I like to throw in because I like to, you know, like to play devil's advocate. <laughs> is well, if you weren't there, would that player still have gone and done what they've done anyway? Yeah, that's a really, a really good question. I, I can remember when I first started at um, at Loughborough, there was I, they, they, the module doesn't exist anymore. There used to be like an applied sport module and there was an applied football module and I ran that module at Loughborough and we had a couple of guys on there who'd been ex-players who um, who were doing their degrees and dropped out of the game because of injury and, 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 are, and, are, and are, are both coaching in the game now they're both full-time professional coaches in the professional game and I can remember having quite an interesting discussion with them really to say you know particularly with children who, who grow, they physically mature, they psychologically mature, and they are hardwired to learn. Children are hardwired to learn. That's There's that window of opportunity where we learn stuff, isn't there? And it's like we, we got into quite a debate where the challenge, is, the, ch the challenge to them was how much value do you add, really, to those players, particularly, you know, the very good ones who are going to be, you know, whatever you do, they're going to be good. So, again, I always always try to focus people on this added value piece so what you know what what have you added you know, they walked in they, they walked across the line at six o'clock or whatever in the evening and they're leaving at 
7.30, what value have you added? What have you given them that they didn't have when they came or wouldn't have got anyway? And it's an interesting question. I think I had quite a heated, we had in the class had quite a heated debate about how much, you know, what value do coaches add? And I was being challenging to them in the academy space. You've got, you know, you've got the best 1% of players by definition at that age group who are going to be good. Yeah. You know, how much value are you, how much value is you adding to them? Think for me, I always look at that and say, I think you're spot on, by the way. I think that's pretty much how I, how I look at it. It's what am I doing to add value? And um, question I get, I, I get the coaches to start really thinking about, hopefully ask themselves is, have I actually done anything to change this? Have I actually done anything? Or have I just got the good players here already? And I'm saying, um, and, and, and then, the, you know, the confusion can often come, right? So, well, I've had such and so player. So they've gone and done X, Y, Z. Yeah, but what's that got to do with you? What did yeah. you personally do? And I don't think it's always necessarily about having to add something new to what they're doing. Sometimes it might be further clarifying or, or giving a greater depth of understanding around some of the things they can already do, which is, you know, which yeah. is just as valuable, right? Because it's getting them to be more aware of that. But what did you do? And, and it's not, and I think this is probably the bit that probably, does, you know, I guess maybe burst a few egos in the coaching world is, well, all those players that you're taking quote unquote credit for supporting their development with, let's get a list of all the ones that you failed. And that's not to be, you know, not to be difficult, but it's just almost, well, if you're going to take credit for this, then take credit for that too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's challenging, isn't it? It's a, it's a really, really challenging space. You know, o over the years, I've been fortunate enough to work in a, in a couple of academies and work with players who've gone on to have and are still having for professional careers. And, and you try not to get in their way, really. <laughs> Don't do anything that's going to get in their way. You know, so I think I think as coaching, we can, you know, players develop, learners learn, and we need to we need to do our best not to get in the way of that process. Yeah. I think. So I, you know, I, I'd, you know, I'm very proud and happy for the players that I've worked with that have gone on to to be successful in the game at whatever level. But I also, you know, would be happy and proud to think that I've tried to. Give every you know add value to everybody where you know they where they end up really is is out of my hands at the end of the day. So you 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 know in academy football particularly you've got some potential there, but you don't really know what the potential is fully. But try and add value. Don't get in the way of their development and try and add value to them along the way. You know both both on and off the pitch. You know as a as a human being, but as a player, but also as a human being. You know. Um, and I think, and, you know, and I, for me, I think, again, I've experienced some coaches who who uh, talk the player-centred language, but want to be players, want players to do particular things, behave in particular ways, and it's very that's very fixed, and it and they kind of do that to all the players they coach, and you're like, okay, I'm not, I'm not, you know, you're you're straying into the waters of perhaps getting in the way of this player now rather than actually helping them. So isn't it between obviously that being player-centred and player-led, right? Because um, you can still be player-centred yeah. or coach-led. I think it's probably yeah. one of the pieces that, yeah, you know, I'm sure you've come across the phrase, let the game be the teacher, which is like, well, no, the game can't be the teacher. The game is just a vehicle that we use as a platform to kind of um, highlight certain things for the players and use it as a reference point right but it fundamentally is down to the coach and the individuals around in the environment whether that be the players themselves 
um, to draw upon the insights and the context of the information that's in front of them. But you know, interestingly enough, I want to come back to that first point that you made around when you first were formally coached. So, you know, just on that then, what, what do you see to be the role of the coach? What is coaching even? Yeah, I mean, well, it's the, it's the, it's the purposeful development of individuals toward a specific, specified goal be my definition and and you know so there are a lot of things that are maybe badged as coaching that aren't so you know i'm i'm and i've written quite a lot about this about di different domains of sport so you've got a participation domain where people come and want to perhaps learn learn the sport learn the game and enjoy themselves you know that's that's teaching sport to kids which is great and it, and there might be some coaching in it, but is it actually coaching? Because it, you know, the purposeful nature of it. So, you know, and that's why it's called sport coaching. We are, it's the purposeful preparation towards a specific goal, which is usually competition or moving someone to another level. So a lot of participation stuff doesn't have, doesn't have that purpose. So for me, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with being an instructor, a teacher or whatever you want, but it isn't necessarily for me coaching. And that's where you, you have to kind of separate the domains. And um, for me, I think that the term, you know, the term coach is stretched so thin now, it's almost meaningless, isn't it? You know, every, everybody's a coach, really. So would, it, would it be fair to say off the back of that, then you, you maybe suggest that there's space for football teachers? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd be, I'm perfect, you know, like I say, everyone has that, you know, and as soon as we say that, everybody talks about, everyone thinks about hierarchy straight away, right? <laughs> as soon as we say that, everyone's going, well, no, uh, I don't disagree. And, you know, we've had these, dis had, I had these discussions in netball, you know, it's, you know, you have what I call the coaching family. We've got a range of roles. We've got leaders, teachers, instructors, you do a really, really valuable role for the sport, but then, but they're not preparing athletes for competition. It's not the purposeful preparation towards a specific goal. So, but that's fine. Those coaching family roles are absolutely fine. So, I'm happy. You know, football leaders, football teachers, whatever they want, they fine. That's absolutely fine, and play a valuable part in the sport. You know, for the for children and young people, and all the players who take part. But there's a there's a difference between that and coaching for me. Yeah, and obviously something else that you linked into earlier around um, potential, you use that word potential. And one of the challenges I often get coaches to think about regarding potential with players is through what lens are you looking? Are you looking through the lens of actually this is where the player is at now and this is where they can get to? Or are you looking through the lens of this is where the player is at now and this is where I can help them get to? Yeah. Because obviously, if there's a if there's a ceiling on that, and what you're exposed to as a coach, and your insights, and you're not, you could be putting a cap on the players' potential, surely. Yeah. Well, nobody. Yeah, yeah. Nobody has a crystal ball, right? Because <laughs> if you know, no, you know, and with experience, you know, if if you see players pass through a system enough, you start to pick out things, saying, well, they, you know, they look similar to this, or they're better, or they're worse, or further on or that you know so the coach's eye still remains the most accurate thing that we have despite all the measurement and the science and some you know it's still the most accurate predictor which is interesting in and of itself i mean back in the early noughties i had a phd student looking at 
the difference between talented and gifted. And um, he used uh, a Canadian educationist, actually, Francois Gagné's model. And he was really in, had some interesting markers of giftedness. So basically, talented is you're good now and gifted is you've got the potential to be, you know, to move on and, and get better and better. And there were specific markers. And, and I've tended to think about those markers of giftedness. So the sorts of things that, that Gagné pointed out is by definition, you're in the top 1%. Okay, great. Um, um, ability to um, mimic. So can somebody see something once and basically do it straight away? Okay. Uh, ability to be coachable. And when they say coachable, basically, you just need to say somebody say, say or show something somebody once and they get it. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, what else do you, I'm trying to think what they are now. Just, just while you're thinking there on that last one, because um, I feel like it's often a conversation I have with a lot of coaches around being able to show uh, someone and, and then getting it. Coaches can, obviously, I've seen it so many times. I've been, I'm sure I've been there in the past where you know, we get easily frustrated when the players or the athletes don't quite understand it. But you have to just take a step back and yeah, you're explaining it in the way that you've understood it. Yeah. How, yeah. how they understand it. And I think one of the key principles I always go with is well, with every, with every intervention, there has to be a show as well as a tell. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a live demo per se, but there's got to be some sort of visual because fundamentally, you can keep telling the people again and again and again. But if they don't get it, you're going to show them anyway. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a valid point. And the, the final one is novel tasks. So gifted people are really good at novel tasks. So it kind of runs counter to that. So again, I've worked at a few clubs that have like a development space and then they have their academy space and they try to make the um, the development space replicate it. So the everything's the same. And I'm, I'm the awkward one in the corner saying, well, actually, you don't want that. You want you want people to, to experience novel tasks so you don't want the practices to be the same and for me it's you know somebody comes into an environment they've never seen a practice before they see it once and can do it that for me I'm going okay there's there's something there whereas somebody still after you've shown it to them you've explained it to them they're still running around and can't like I can't you know the the, the, the typical session record basically the person who can't do it then that for me in Gagne's book, so well, this person might be talented, but they're not gifted. They've not got, you know, and, I, and again, I've worked with players at that kind of 16 and 18 age where at the start of the season, we're saying this. And at the end of the season, we're still saying this. <laughs> yeah. And they can, they can say it back to you and they understand what the problem is, but they just can't. Like it's not important. They can't do it. So yeah. for me, you know, particularly in those decision ages, I'm sitting there thinking, I think you might, you know, your head is hitting the ceiling here. So you, you're a good player, but you can't, you can't get past these issues that you have with the game, despite you know, eight or ten months working on it. You're still doing the same thing, and yeah. you, and for me, that that's not a marker of giftedness. A talented person, yes. Because anybody in that space at that age is talented, of course, but they probably don't. They they're probably not going to move to the next level because of that. So, but by that, then, are you suggesting that there could also be cases where players haven't quite got it? But actually, the delivery and the effective communication isn't effective enough. But also, 
even in moments where it's not effective enough, the gifted are able to still unpack it themselves to an extent. Yeah. That, that coachability piece, so the giftedness yeah. is the basically you tell the gifted player once, and they, you know, they sh you show it to them once or tell them once, and they've got it. And then obviously this isn't, you know, there's a spectrum here. It's not black or white, but um, they, again, you t you tend to find players who just look at it, go yeah, and just do it, and you're like, okay, there's some, this player has got something here that, that you know, according to Gagne's model, that would be uh, that would be that would be a marker of giftedness. I mean, th this this guy did Pete Tranquil, He did his research in across a range of sport, individual sports, and he he went to. Uh, and he basically got um, coaches to talk about players who'd who they thought were gifted. So he didn't tell talk about the framework. They just, you know, we were testing the framework out with these coaches and just getting them to talk about their experiences of working with different athletes. And there was a gymnast. Uh, he there was one player, sorry, one athlete. This coach was talking about. He was a gym, he was a gymnast, a little boy gymnast, and obviously they had age group mats. So you know they had all the age groups in different age groups on the mats around the hall, and he was on a group doing headstands, and on the mat next to him was a slightly older group doing handstands. Right. So they're learning to do the headstand, these little boys and girls, and the coach said that basically the, this kid sat on the mat saw the older kids doing handstands and next time he did a headstand he just pushed with his hands and did a handstand nobody told it told him showed him he just looked at it and went yeah i can do that yeah and every like everyone at the penny drop the coach says wow and the, this kid goes on to be a you know an international gymnast basically but again that ability to mimic right he sees it and can just do it yeah Without anything is like would be a marker of giftedness, right? So all of, all of these things are floating. This knowledge is floating around, and we don't really don't always consider it as much as we could do when we're looking at players. So you're right. We have a perception of players, and we might do the best or the worst for them. But those truly gifted players will kind of they'll figure it out. Basically, you know, it comes back to our point: with or without us, they'll figure they'll figure yeah. it out. Cream rise to the top, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess you know. I'm just thinking about what you said then. I think for just how important is it then for coaches to be able to effectively demo? Yeah. Well, I, I think for me, it's about those novel tasks. It's about a demonstration and seeing how you know who gets it straight away and who doesn't. You know, if you're in that talent development space, particularly. Yeah. You know, always, you know, and we come back to this, you know. And I and I just said to the club at the time, I said, well, you you know, a, a really good test is novel task. Can people do this quickly and can they do a novel task? So to make the practices different. So when yeah. they come to a different practice. Could, could we not be in danger of then uh, um, coaches not taking accountability for, their, for what in some cases may not be effective communication? Well, I guess that evens itself out over time, doesn't it? That evens itself out over time you know again I, i've been in, in academy spaces where players have been brought in on trial and they might have really good physical attributes and they they you know they look like good players but when you you know when i'm looking at the markers of giftedness can they do novel tasks no they're all over the place how many times do we have to tell them stuff like loads 
You know, are they, can they mimic? Can they pick stuff up quickly? And the answer to all those questions is no. But at that moment in time, they look pretty effective because they've got other attributes. But we're not thinking about what they can do now. We're thinking about their potential. So again, I've sat in meetings and I said, you know, I really like this boy now. But on this list, he, he, he'd be a no for me because I don't think he, he's, he's going to progress. So he's very effective now for all the reasons that we're talking about. And that's, you know, regardless of what the coach says or does. Yeah. And I think it comes back to it comes back to that the question you posed about how much how much is down to us and how much is, isn't down to us. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the reason why my mind goes there often is that there's one belief that I do have. And it's that when it comes to athletes, when it comes to what well, doesn't matter what walk of life you're in, really. All of the coaches never won, but the coach doesn't have the control to make a player want something. Correct. Right? So I. But you've certainly got the opportunity to kind of, and I say to play, parents all the time as well, you know, they say, oh, well, what's next for my child? How, you know, where do you think my child can go? And first thing I always ask them is, how bad does your child want it? Not how bad do you want it? Not how bad does the, you know, does the family network want it? How, how bad do they want it? Because for me, that's the one piece no one will ever but to coach them. You can have the best coaches, best facilities, best people in the world around them. Um but they have to want it. And now it's not to say that if they don't want it right now, that they're not going to want it in the future, but they have to want it. And there's a window of opportunity they need to want it by, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, that's just my experience, right? Because I, th I feel like... Um, and I think it's... And, you know, that there's, there's a level of intrinsic motivation, desire. Yeah. And again, I, I've sat in lots of meetings with parents and players over the years. And you just think, there are, t there are times when I've sat in those meetings where the desire isn't, it's, it's vicarious, so it's a parent or it's, you know, it, there's all the, you know, and, and if we think, you know, if we think about football, you know, the rewards for success now are unbelievable, aren't they? Even... Know, any kind of professional player now the rewards are, are just incredible before we even talk about the you know the faraway galaxy that's the premier league the rewards are incredible so i totally see how people can fall in love with that idea and the people around the player can and i've, I've definitely sat in meetings and i've not necessarily been leading the meeting but i've just really focused on the player so I've been listening to all the conversations about all this stuff. And there are times when I thought, you know what, if we if we said to this player now, you can walk away now without any, you know, without any, you know, it's all fine. Everyone will be happy. Everything will be fine. You can just walk away. Break. I, should, I would imagine that there are times when some of those boys would have just said, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore because yeah. they're, 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 they're doing it for... They're not doing it for themselves, are they? The yeah, the the it's the the wrong reasons for the right purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're basically trying to keep everybody happy. Yeah. And I think they're trying to convince themselves they're going to be happy. It's the right, it's the right intention. Right. And you just think, wow, you know, if you could, you know, you could just you can just see that this is just not enjoyable anymore for you. And you're just doing this for a whole range of reasons. And there's no, you know, there's the shelf life on that is limited, isn't it? You know, the, that you run out of road, if that's what's keeping you going, you're going to run out of road on that really quickly. 
really quickly. You know, what you know, what is it they want from it? What is their and what, what makes them come every day? What is it that makes them want to practice? What are those reasons? And again, mate, perhaps as coaches, we, you know, it's very difficult, isn't it, with to 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 have those conversations with players at times. And I and I think sometimes as well, again, you know, and my my research shows this up at times where players are almost reluctant to share that stuff with you because you're the person who, you know, it's that bit of role conflict, right? So. It's almost seen as a bit of a weakness if I share this person with this person because this person ultimately picks the team and decides whether I stay or go. So I'm not going to be as honest as I could be with them. Yeah, I mean, I mean an interesting dynamic, isn't it? I think it definitely is. I mean, you often hear it, especially in, you know, in the modern day where people are always talking about what you said earlier about you know, not only just developing the athlete but developing the person essentially. Um, I think if if coaches really truly abide by that and they follow that then that conversation shouldn't be a challenge. Um, but I think there's one thing in, in, you know, in public and there's another thing in private, right? Uh, where, <laughs> and I think that's where the kind of the stumbling block is. So, I, I mean, I, I definitely, definitely agree with you. I think, that, you know, the, the challenge will be there. And I do, again, like I said, my experiences are that there's many people that are in, the, in these situations, on these journeys, and they couldn't care any less. They could not care any less. It's just because mum's been putting pressure on them or dad's been putting pressure on them for the longest. Or they're the first person in their family to be in an opportunity where they were, you know, where they're good enough to work in the academy. Then it's like and I and I think I think I get I get what you mean in terms of the gifted and talent piece. And it's often something I've shared with coaches around, you know, you get some players, some athletes, and this is this is in any walk of life really, but um they're just talented. Yeah. But they've got absolutely no intention of using that talent to do anything with longevity in this or in the, in the industry that they're working in. And they're just doing it because, you know, you see it with some of the professional footballers in the past, right, where they've been exceptionally talented, but they, they can't stand the game. But they know it's a, it's effectively a good means to an end. Yeah, that's cool. um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's managing that as well. And obviously those individuals, they know they've got to do what they've got to do just to get by and, and do what it is, but they're, they're comfortable. So they're not they're not really bothered about going anything above above and beyond that. I mean, I think there's a you know, and the literature talks about this. There's a, there, there's a difference between the journey to get somebody get somewhere and then being there aren't the same things. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a a way of being on a journey to get to a destination, but once you're there, you don't. It's not necessarily the same qualities or the same things that are required, right? So you. You kind of do what you need to do to get where you need to be, but once you're there, you know you don't necessarily you you can do those things. I'm with you. I've I've met I've met a, a few players who just it's a job for them. Yeah. I mean, it literally is a job, and it's like, did you watch the game the other night? No, not interested. It it, it it's a job, yeah. and that's fine, right? <laughs> well, it's each to their own, right? As long as yeah, of course. Get hurt in the process, I think everyone yeah. still you know, do do what you got to do. Um, you know, obviously, you talked there about you know your, your your research areas are much more around coaching and pedagogy. There's yes. going to be a lot of people just to give context now listening to this that um, probably have no idea what pedagogy actually means. Yeah. So maybe we could start with a definition on that. So basically, it's it's the science. Well, the American definition is it's the science of instruction. 
So that's what that means. So it's understanding how we deliver instruction in its broadest sense, not just, you know, practice design and all of those bits, not just telling people. Um, a more UK friendly version is the kind of interaction between the person, uh, the environment and the curriculum that creates a learning environment. So the interaction of those things. So it's kind of understanding how, how we create the environment for people to learn and what factors impact that is that's what pedagogy is awesome so then you know obviously you know, what, what are your thoughts then in that when we're looking at pedagogy as a whole yeah it typically doesn't really start getting discussed or exposed until latter end of coach education qualification and i say latter end in terms of you know you won't get it any, any really any, any exposure at level one level two and this is from my understanding across a lot of different sports you know do you, do you, do you think it should actually be the other way around where we're actually looking at that as a as a start in place for coaches to think about? Well, well I, I think there's a there's two there's two points for me on this. And I think the first thing is the language. Already we've had to discuss what some of the language means. And do do we need that at the kind of entry level things? Do people need to have the detail around the language? Probably not. Probably not. Are there some principles that fall out of it that would be better served at an entry level? Then definitely yes. Okay, so you know, is there a difference between performance and learning? Yes. Is how we schedule practice, it does how we schedule practice influence the environment for performance and learning? Yes. Do we get different types of um, returns or do we get different things from different types of practice activity? Yes. And for me, I think broad brush generalization. I don't think we we spend enough time kind of nailing those down with people. And then you then there's the interaction of your behavior as a coach and feedback and all those other things that then come in that space. So I think there's definitely Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion150. Then place a five dollar wager on any sport. You'll receive one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Yeah, there's definitely an opportunity to, you know, introduce some of those those fundamentals really I think a little bit sooner because they just they go to how you create the environment mm. that you that you do for the people that you're working with the the players that you're working with yeah and I think you know we've obviously seen a massive shift and I think just across all the sports from my understanding um of where coach education is leading right it's much more about developing environments and developing the person off the pitch and on the pitch as well as that um than it was you know maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago across all, you know, most sports was very much technical, right? So I think yeah. the whole sports industry has moved in that direction. What, 
what would you say some of the kind of if you like the pros and cons of that are because I, you know i've seen so some really I'm, transitional I'm, differences yeah i'm i'm fortunate or unfortunate i don't know which you decide so i i did the very old so i did the prelim and the full badge and then it trends right when it was transitioning into the uefa quals so mid 90s mid late 90s and then through research we've worked with the fa looking at the youth modules and the new uefa a or I say new, 10 years ago, new. It's new again now. So it's changed a lot. And, and I, I suspect, and, and again, work with other governing bodies. And I think, you know, in the early noughties, the, the literature, the, the early critiques of coach education was it focused too much on the what and not enough on the how. And, and I don't think it was ever intended to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. So I did my UA for A license in the late 90s and the technical stuff was just on another level, really. So the argument was we need to mix the how into that, not get rid of the what. <laughs> so I suspect that, you know, we tend to lurch from one thing to another rather than keeping the high quality technical game understanding, the knowledge piece and stir in some high quality how to coach piece. We've kind of arguably thrown the baby out with the bathwater a little bit and focused, focus, you know, overly focused on the how to. I mean, don't get me wrong, the how to is really, really important, of course, but a lot of the how to is dependent on underpinning knowledge, right? You need to have the underpinning knowledge to do the how well. So I, I suspect there's almost been a little bit of a, you know, we lurch from one to the other, don't we? Um, and and perhaps you know, it, it was never, a, you know, so, you know, we take football, we've ended up with the UEFA route and the youth modules route. And it's like, well, you know, if you glue them together, <laughs> you suddenly have something that's, you know, why, why is it separate? You know, you suddenly have something that's good. You've got some really good how to. Yeah, that was that was one of the biggest debates because I, you know, just um, when I, I remember when I did my youth modules, I did them at a time when it, when it was kind of relatively new. I think it just maybe been a year or so old when I actually did mine. So, you know, at that point, one of the I'd say one of the common bits of feedback and in some cases one of the co common bits of discontent, if you like, was well, you're telling us to coach this way over here and you're telling us to coach this way over here. Um, and, you know, there'll be times where I'd actually witnessed people maybe go on a UA for B or even the old level two and they deliver in a way that the youth module share, shared and supported, um, but they actually get failed for it because it wasn't aligned to what was expected on those qualifications. And obviously, since then, they've rectified that, they've addressed it in some ways and that they've brought the two pathways closer together in by mixing the courses in there might be one or two key bits I think they probably left out the youth modules um, and even from the old level two itself and the old core coaching pathway but I think fundamentally they brought that together but now at that point I felt there was still an emphasis on that technical piece the what piece because I think you know fundamentally if you don't have the what how the how to is useless right it's what I'm actually delivering you can't you know I'm all for you know all for asking all for asking really good questions and engaging the players and their understanding of what's happening around them in a game kind of game focused way 
but as a coach you need to be seeing it too <laughs> you need to have some view of what's happening mm. and have some thoughts on you know what might what might we do differently or let before you ask the players so that you, you, you know the underpinning knowledge is really important i mean we did some work so steve harvey led the project we did some work in the us where we looked at a more a more games-based approach with a set of coaches and it was around defending and decision making and defending and one of the findings really was that because you have to plan all of this up front so you have to think about your modified game you have to think about your coaching points you then have to think about the sorts of questions that you might ask and the sorts of things that you might see and then think about right well if if we come come across this issue where does it so you basically have to load it front load everything and what it did was it just exposed people's knowledge or lack of it and the people who tended to kind of reject it were like you know this is rubbish were the ones who struggled to kind of well i don't really know what the coaching point is here and i don't know how i'd modify the practice to go and so there was the real this you know, and you know, this was back in 2010. And for me, that that piece of work really struck home, saying, if you if you don't have the underpinning knowledge, if you can't map out where the practice might go and the sorts of issues that you go and what you might then do as a coach or you might encourage the players to do, you're really going to struggle with all of this. You know, with it with even with a you know with a game space thing. And what tends to happen is you just then stand back and just let people play right and don't do anything and maybe ask them a few questions at the end. How did that go? It was great. Yeah, brilliant. Great session. And there's no coaching happening. So for me, that underpinning knowledge is really, really, really important. You know, whether you get it from the governing body or whether you're, you know, whether you're doing your own, you know, doing your own research or whatever. It's that that game understanding and game knowledge is really important to underpin the how to for sure. massive transition from where it was to where it is now and obviously it's got you know it's got some of its benefits and i think one of the biggest benefits to me is you certainly now have a much more varied style of coaching if that's right. what you call it or varied style of being a practitioner yeah i think you've got the scope for people to become more specialists in different areas of the game sure whether that be working in specific age groups, whether you're working in specific phases of the game, whether in or out of possession, and so on and so forth. So I think there's definitely scope for it. But you know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a couple of weeks back, and we were talking about he was specifically, uh, you know, drawing down on the fact that you know we need an objective framework. We need something that people can agree on that yeah, but this is fundamentally needed. I think football is you know such a space where. There's so many opinions and so and not enough justification going on. Um, so I think that you know, I can't, I kind of get where he was coming from. I think that you know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I guess there is. I mean, there, there's, there's, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? We've got strategies and we've got tactics, haven't we? We've got the what are we trying to do piece, and the strategy and then the how are we going to do it piece. So I, you know, I think that there are some, and, and we have a, a rule governed game, right? So uh, uh, there are things that you can and can't do because the rules tell you. Mm. There's, there are things, you know, you can want to play a particular way, 
There's, you know, what are we trying to do and then how are we going to do it? And there are some tactics that follow under that. So I would say, and I would imagine that there are some in like a one one on one level, there are some individual things that regardless of the system that you play, if you get that right or wrong, it's not going to work. So in that that kind of and then you go out from that. So I would imagine that there are some capturable principles around strategies and tactics. I would imagine that there are some capturable things like if, you know, one on one defending or, you know, the, the mistakes, basically the reverse of the mistakes. So diving in, getting too tight, not getting closer. You know, so there are things that you, if you get that wrong, it doesn't matter what system you're playing. It's, it's not going to work. So I would imagine there are, there are things that are capturable in terms of that kind of that, that fit together. But I, I'm not sure we could end up with one piece of paper with them all on. I think we'd probably have quite a few pieces of paper, wouldn't we, in terms of that? But then that goes to, you know, that goes to um, that could inform then how you'd coach. I'm not sure you'd ever, you know, and we would have agreement or disagreement on on individual things. Um, but it, it's an interesting point. So at, so at some point there has to be stuff we, that we agree on, otherwise it doesn't look like the game. And there has to be things that have to happen, otherwise it, things we want to do don't work. But where yeah, that is, that's 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 down, I don't know. Fundamentally, we're all going to have different perceptions of what the game looks like, but there's got to be, yeah. like you said, I think there's got to be some things that we can agree on because if we can agree on certain things, then, and not on everything, so you know, the, the, it's in, I always say to coaches myself that you know what, there's no, there's no right way to coach um, other than the way that works, <laughs> um, and whatever works for your players might work for your players, but that approach might not work for the next group that you're working with, and that's fine too because you're going to just need to find another right way for them. Um, and as long as no one's being, you know, put in danger or their safety's at risk, then it can all be right. Um, but you know, even on that note, that you know, I think this is a, is a fine line between that that's that's that space there in terms of when it, when it, whether it is participatory or high performance or you know quote unquote moving to that level because it's another conversation I've had with you know it'd be interesting to get your thoughts and observations on it yourself in that when you're now supporting players to go down that more professional kind of elite elite performance route. Do you think there's subtle differences um, or there's, there's, there's a very close treading of the line of what would be considered maybe a safeguarding problem to some extent because of how much you're trying to maybe push the athletes? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm always mindful of the whole we're here to toughen them up line. I just think that's, I think you can, you can treat everybody with dignity and respect and still create a demanding environment right mm. so there's no need you know you don't have to belittle anybody you don't need to humiliate anybody you don't need to f and jeff at people but still demand high standards and yeah. don't I mean, what standards. Of the physical piece rather than you know that 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 kind of the verbal and emotional piece more yeah. around that one of the things i always said as coaches if we don't push the players to an to a level that they haven't yet experienced yes. and how will they ever know yeah that's the level that they can get to does that make sense yeah i mean i i was doing pre-season with uh with a youth team a few years ago 
and um, it was very our essence, it was very ball orientated. Okay, so everything was with a ball, and it was all great. But you just kind of watch the training, and you think, and you play a couple of preseason friendlies, and you're like, okay, so the conditioning side, I just don't feel that we're there. So I sat, I was one of the assistants, not the head coach. So I just chatted with the head coach and the SNC and said, look, I'm, you know, just something not quite right here. I'd, I'd like to put some heart rate monitors on the players and we, and let's do some, let's, let's mix in some running for time and distance. So we know that we're hit, you know, if you complete this time, this distance in this time, and your heart rate's this. You're smacking. You're smashing this training zone to get them into it. Get them into the place that hurts a little bit. That it's uncomfortable, right? So the first time we did this, I had a I had a player come up to me and said, "Chris," in between gasps, said, "Chris, Chris, I think I'm having a heart attack." And I said, "Okay, why, why do you think that?" So, well, I'm my heart's beating really fast. And I can barely breathe. And I said to him, I said, well, I don't think you're having a heart attack. I said, this is what this is what hard work feels like. And I just said to him, I said, in it, you know, in school, in PE, in any other game you've played for here, anywhere or in training, have you ever felt like this before? No, never. And I said, do you know when we say we want you to give it 100 percent? And he said, yeah. I said, that's what that should feel like. That's giving it 100%. So I think, there's, I think there is an educational piece. You know, there's a wider educational piece with young players have to feel, and it's yeah. not abusive. It's not, it's controlled. It's, it's like going to a space that's uncomfortable, that, that, is, that hurts, that physically hurts. So they know what it, they know what it feels like. And they, you know, know what it, knows what it feels like but also can say, okay, I can do this. You know, I can, I can push through this and do it. So for me, it was, again, a really eye-opening moment. You know, of all the, you know, this player had been in the system for however many years, played X number of games within, was in it, and had never, ever experienced that sent those feelings before. Yeah. So what I'm saying, when we're saying we want you to give, physically give 100%, in his head, he thought he was, because he didn't actually know what giving 100% felt like. Yeah, but I think it's also that, that emphasis on if he's achieving what he needs to achieve to a certain extent, the coaches maybe will allow you to get away with that. But also maybe the coaches aren't aware that actually the effort you're giving is not going to be good enough for the quote-unquote next level, yeah. right? Yeah. I think it's just getting that mind frame right. And I think this is the piece I'm often saying to coach. Uh, we've got to push the players above and beyond what they anticipate is the minimum requirement. Right. Because even if it, what they're doing now is okay, if we don't expose them to what's av- what's available to them, they'll never know whether they can perform at a high level. Right, and and there's all sorts of benefits to doing that. It's the it's a healthy challenge, isn't it? It's a stretching challenge, and it's you know it's it's not used as a punishment. It's not any of those things. It's it's just part of the training. I mean, what was interesting there on in we ad- we added stop you know runs for time, distance and time, and and. I suspect everyone wears uh, GPS these days, but you know there were there were times when the heart rate monitors came out and they would you know, mix during the training week. There were runs for time and distance to make sure that we could get the training effects, but also just to remind the players of you know 
you know, it's an educational experience until you feel it. You don't, you know, how, how do you know what you don't know, right? I think it's spot on there. I think, you know, just, so then, you know, just to kind of build on that then. Let's look at, you know, that pedagogy piece. Where, where, where do you think the, the, the real content behind this piece should really start being embedded into college education? Because, you know, you said that obviously some key principles that can be drawn down from it at, at earlier stages. Um, do you think it would make a difference if there, some of these things were drawn down, maybe the, the word itself wasn't used? Because I think that's probably where the biggest piece for me is a similar way. So, you know, we start using words that, that are maybe maybe more exclusive than inclusive. Hello, I, yeah, like I say, I, I, it's it's the principles definitely. Um, and again, we don't, you know, my colleague and mentor Robin Jones is always about almost don't take, you know, don't insult coaches and treat them all like they're stupid. Then we can use. You know, it's, it's an educational piece. We can broaden people's horizons around language and expectation and all of those things. But at the same time, there is, it should be, you know, it is a relative piece. So, you know, degree level works. You don't do degree level work when you're doing GCSEs, right? There's a there's a gradual layering. So I think that I think the layering of that and the thoughtfulness around when these things are introduced rather than we never introduce them for sure there's definitely a layering piece um but it, it, i mean it's interesting so again my my recent experience at netball they really want to push a, a gamed games centered approach really want it to be and they'd spent time and money at trying to embed game sense through workshops and uh, in their coach education and all these things and we and we did a little bit of analysis to kind of figure out how it's landing and it basically wasn't and it's like oh the coaches this the coaches that and it's like well have we have we ever modeled you know has have people seen an authentic games based session done well is there any video? Is there are there any examples? Do we model it for people? Is it all? Is it just powerpoints and talk? Do we model it? And it's like, oh no, no, not really. We don't really. So I mean, it's very easy to criticise coaches for not doing something if we've never shown it to them. They're not. There are not good examples. We've not worked an example through with them. So for me, you don't qualify yourself through this problem. It's, it is a coach development piece. So you need to. You need to show people what you mean. You need to give them good examples of it and then work them through an example. And then you, I think you've got a better chance of these things sticking, would be my feeling. Interesting, because you know, what you're talking about there, I think you're spot on in that. But that shouldn't change, right? Whether it's an athlete, whether it's a coach, but they need to see it. They need to see it to appreciate it, right? They need to experience it, they need to feel it. Um, I think that's probably one of the challenges, you know, going through the, the pandemic and COVID and everything has brought to us, right? Because a lot of the stuff has been moved online. A lot of the stuff has become more, like I said, webinars and Zoom calls and all the rest of that comes with it. And it's almost like that space for coaches, probably when they need it most now, is not there, available for them in terms of a face-to-face -face connection and actually that, that practical delivery piece. Um just thinking back to all my experiences, you know, and, and when I've learned most, especially through a coaching context, and even if I have picked up something, let's say off a webinar, well, I don't really know its impact until I apply it in my context. So 
it's got to be done practically. It's got to be that element to it. I, and I'm just thinking out wide, and I, you know, what? Given the given the challenges of the modern society, you know, and your and your insights and understanding of coaching and pedagogy as a whole, and maybe your you know your deeper insights around different governing bodies and the way they structure their qualifications. What what are maybe some questions you'd you'd encourage coaches to start asking themselves around whether they're on the right track with some of this stuff. I know there's no definitive answer for that, and I know this is quite a broad question, but it's just, you know, what are some questions that you maybe encourage coaches to start asking to become more self-reflective and aware of where they may sit along a spectrum of effective versus ineffective and in deliberate yeah. versus I mean, accidental? The same, the same framework, really. So, you know, if it's a games-based session, if it's a review session, um, so, well, there's two two frameworks really so first is around that reflective piece so what where when and why so what am I doing <laughs> where am I doing it when am I doing it and why and then how does that relate to what I'm trying to achieve so are those things aligned so what where when uh, why and again when I'm working with players that would be the same question so what's happening where's it happening when's it happening now we get into the okay so the game we appreciate what's going on now let's think about why it's happening and what we might want to do about it compared to what the outcomes what we're trying to achieve so that's a framework and the other really helpful helpful framework i think is around experiential learning and this is work from higher education actually phil race's work and it's um it's like what um want need practice feedback and understanding so is it what you want is it what you need are you getting an opportunity to practice it are you getting some feedback on it and do you understand what you're doing and why essentially so i think they're two really useful reflective frameworks that you can apply to your players but you can also think about your own environments and your own space and your own learning really and just and just ask yourselves those questions and if there are issues or gaps, it's like, okay, perhaps I need to get, you know, get some help with this. Speak to a mentor or a coach developer or, you know, sign up for something or whatever, whatever that issue is. So I think there are two really good frameworks that, that work with players and coaches when they're thinking about the, the, the environments we're creating for their learning, really. And it's interesting that we mentioned obviously the coach developers and mentors as well, because this is another topic that I often discuss with coaches is that that also has to be for me a de deliberate and intentional process. Correct. You, to, you know, you need to be very clear about who you, who who you're going to be mentored by, why you want to be mentored by them, and what what they're going to mentor you in. Because if I come to you know, uh, coach mentor X, you know, he needs to be able to support me in the area that I'm actually looking for support in. So I think the first piece is well, where do I feel like I need support? Um, and understand who to maybe you know go after with that, and I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges, right? Well, I think, it, I mean, we mentoring used to be really fashionable. Now it's coach development is really fashionable, isn't it? So we've moved where, and I think I've posted this on social media where have all the mentors gone? Everyone's a coach developer now, aren't they? So, I mean, what we call them is just a semantic word game, isn't it? But you know, a colleague of mine did some really interesting work around mentoring back when mentoring was fashionable. Basically, asking questions about trying to get to what it is that the coaches actually needed. What is it you need? You know, what is it you think you want and need to, to move on your development? 
and his his work was really fascinating and again it kind of struck with me is that is that actually a lot of coaches want to be coached so they want you they want somebody to give them come and watch their sessions and give them feedback in a structured way on their sessions they want somebody to show them something different they want somebody to say well i'm having a problem here coaching the low block can you show me a session where you coach that and it's like yeah fine here's an example of how we, how we would do that so but that for me is like coaching the coach <laughs> whereas a mentoring discussion is you know i'm thinking about this as my career path or whatever what advice you know it's very the relationship's different the type of advice or you know what you offer is different so for me you know i think again i could be wrong and i'm generalizing a little bit but i think people genuinely want to be coached really you know come and look at me come and watch my session just give me some feedback on what you what you saw what you noticed you know or i'm i'm struggling with this i'm going to have a go at it tonight why don't you have a look at it and tell me what you think afterwards or even stop me and you know we'll pause it and give me some advice and i'll you know basically coach me while i'm doing it and i, I suspect that, that a lot of coaches want that kind of thing really rather than just a coffee and a chat and go look at this website it's you know it's it's just you know it's that it it's you know coaches want to be coached right to get better yeah. right it's, it's interesting because you know something so you know even in the role that i do or i've done i've been doing for the last few years where i'm going out and supporting coaches in you know yeah. off pitch or in on pitch that they always ask me, so you know, how how does this work? So it's not an assessment. I'm not here to assess you. I'm just here to offer some feedback and observations. Um, and more importantly, the observations is what I'm what I'm coming to coming to offer you. Now, there's a couple of ways in which I feel like you can be. This could be most useful for you. Um, the, you know, fundamentally, it's up to you how we do it, right? And I think one way is I can just stand. And I can just give you some feedback. Um, I can here be as an anchor of support. So, you know, as the session's going on, if you've got any ideas popping through your head, feel free to bounce them off and we can have that discussion as the session's going on. Um, but furthermore, to you know, add to your point, you know, if you've got some ideas or you're not sure where you want to go next with it, how it looks, and you want to, and you want, I guess, maybe for me to share an example of what I potentially might do within that, yeah. then we can we can go with that as well, right? So there's no one size fits all approach in that, but other than, I do think that that show that showpiece from, in this case, coach developer or coach mentor, I think that piece is really important, and it's not for me to give you the opportunity to say to me, yeah, look how what a great job I'm doing. Okay, that's that's brilliant, but how do we get even better at it? Is the, is the real point? I'm not here to see whether you're doing a good job, and I want to see how close we can get you to being great. And if you're great, how can we get you further, if, even further to the point where it's like actually, there's not much more I can do for you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? um so you know i guess if, from that perspective is you look at coach development you, you know you obviously you rightly said mentoring is probably a slightly different relationship um who should be the driving force in that because you know if sometimes it's if we're left to if we leave it to the coaches and i and i and i say this is from a playing from a coach to player perspective as well and sometimes challenge coaches say oh yeah you know, or chris doesn't like to be coached that way how, how do you know that the experience chris had in the past of that method being applied wasn't a poor one 
So can you really tell me Chris doesn't like being coached in that way? So you try it in a way that he might it might work for him. I don't know. You know, there's no there's no crystal ball like you said earlier, right? No, and um, and I guess it, it it does depend where individual coaches are and where. So you know, in various coach education programs that I've been involved with over the years, there's very often people who are on the right course but at the wrong time. <laughs> so they're absolutely, you know, what they've chosen to do is right, but they're just not ready for it yet. Or, you know, they need to do a little bit more. I need to get to a different place. So there is this kind of willing, a willingness and a space. And, and I guess as individuals, you, you kind of get a sense of where you are with that, don't you? I guess, I mean, the downside for governing bodies and supporting agencies is what we're talking about. It's very labour intensive, right? And expensive. Very labour intensive and expensive. So I just wonder how, how you scale that up. I mean, what the work we've done recently um, at Leicester City actually is um, trying to create almost like a self-sufficient coaching cell. So we put the phase coaches as a group and they raise issues with each other. And it's almost like a peer, you know, so a lot of this is peer to peer. And then then the coach developer piece is, a, is like a layer on top when they get stuck or there's an issue they can't figure out between them in the room. So you you could almost think about scaling that as you create little communities that's very peer-to-peer, -peer. you know, I watch you, you watch me. And if we both get stuck, it's like, right, we need the developer in now to come and help us because we, we both can't figure this out or we're, we're you know, just ch churning up this thing over and over in our heads and can't get to us thinking about it differently. And then it makes it a little less late, you know, a little less labor intensive for the coach developer. If you try and create people who can be a little bit more self-sufficient and little groups who can support each other. I think, I think it's quite interesting. Obviously, they do a lot of stuff in the Premier League where they've spotted their programs. They've got people coaching themselves. They've got yeah. And not just coaching themselves, where they've got... Um, one another to support they've got the industry mental which might be heavy yeah yeah external mentors right who maybe not got perspective of football at all yeah can offer just a, a fresh pair of eyes on, on on a completely different scene so i think it, i think there's definitely benefits to that um chris you've given me so, you so much to think about right now i'm just my mind's just going in so many different directions and you know i'm conscious of time as well so i want to start by saying obviously a massive thank you for your time today i really appreciate it and just to kind of maybe give you a space if there's any lasting messages you want to leave with the people listening. Wow, that's a really good. Um, I just think um, you know, that there's, there is lots of good information out there. Um, there's some really good principles that are evidence informed that can really help your coaching. And I think it's just always be inquisitive and think about your own development and keep moving forward with it really so you know, how, how does your coaching line up to those principles what might you do to change it how can you how can you always keep moving forward you know I'm yeah I, I just get the sense that you know as soon as you the day, when the day arrives you think you've arrived you're, you're struggling basically you know you know I've, I've been doing I'm old and I've been doing this a long time and I'm learning stuff all the time still about coaching about the game about different ways of going about things so I think it's always being open and willing to 
to that learning and understanding that you probably never ever finish it's one of those things that's never finished but also how you track next to stuff that's you know really got really good evidence and is really you know those principles those broad principles that are really evidence informed that can make a massive difference to your practice that's i think probably just to build it up i think the key takeaway for me if there's anything for anyone to kind of tag on to today is that question you asked earlier have i added value right have i added value but i think don't just stop there pick up and point out well how yeah how do i know how do i know i've added value not because that was my intention and i delivered a particular action how do i know that value was added um, and one of the things that I'm massive on is always seeking that clarity of communication with the people that I'm working with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's very, very sensible. And, and I think it's always as, you know, people, you, you know, people suffer from imposter syndrome, don't they? And don't think they're perhaps good enough. But now that's a really good question to, you know, even in each session, what have I, what have I given these players today that they didn't have before? What challenges have I posed them that they haven't really thought about so it's always about it's about adding value and even if it's you know so I again I've been fortunate enough to work with players who are really 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 good <laughs> miles better than me uh, than I ever could but you just ask the sorts of question the sorts of questions that you can ask them to even then to add value to make them think about you know so in those moments it's like well i see this what do you see and what and then what are your options here and well can you play that pass and and they're like well yeah actually i could and it's like wow okay so yeah. you know, always it's that it is the added value you know giving, yeah. giving them think or do something slightly different that they didn't have before for I'm sure and I, and I think one of the things just to kind of finish up on that is um that i've been applying especially in my own work for the last few months whether that be players or coaches the question i always ask Right, what was your most useful takeaway from today? Yeah. Because um, even when there wasn't something that was a standout for them, it, for, it forces them to think, right, okay, well, what was what was useful <laughs> today? Um, and like I said, it doesn't necessarily have to be new information. It could be something that's just been further clarified for them in a different yeah. perspective, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just finish on a little story on those lines just to finish this off. So I, I was fortunate enough to be an assistant to someone who's gone on to be a very, very, very successful coach. Champions League winning coach and um, he and I were having a catch-up and he was he and I were talking about that very point about adding value and and kind of individualizing that a little bit and just checking in with individual players and so he, he'd coached a player in a youth team or reserve setup who who had a breakthrough and, and then suddenly going on had gone on to be very successful as a player and those two met up some years later and he basically, they were just chatting about the old times and it's like, and this player turned to him and said, you know, that session on that day, you asked me this question, you said this thing to me and that just hit home and it just clicked for me and it's just made a massive difference to my career. And, this, and the coach was like, oh yeah, I'm really pleased that I was able to help you. And then of course, over the coffee, he's turned to me and said, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Couldn't remember the moment, couldn't remember the session, couldn't remember what I said. So it's really, you know, what you say to people, you know, those things that you say have meaning to, to the individuals. And I think that that checking in with them and that value added piece is really, really, really important, really important. And something I think he took away from that conversation for sure. 100%. Chris, really appreciate your time today. Massive, massively insightful. Um, 
like I said, my mind's still blown over a few different things. I, I'm conscious, don't want to jump down another rabbit hole before we're here, we're here for another day or so. Um, but Chris, um, thank you again for your time. Is there anywhere that maybe everyone can get in touch with you if they wanted to or look into uh, your, some of your research? You can, um, uh, my, my work email address is available on, if you look on the Loughborough website, I'm there. I'm at, at Coach C1 on Twitter, probably the two places, but yeah, all fine. Awesome. Chris, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.